On March 16, 2021, 21-year-old Robert Lang opened fire into three Asian-owned and operated massage parlors in Atlanta over the course of an hour, killing eight. Once taken into custody, Lang claimed that he had been motivated by a desire to suppress his sex addiction by removing potential temptations, denying any link between his actions and racial hatred. The police department in charge of the ongoing investigation remains steadfast in its refusal to label the attack as a hate crime. In this, it is wrong. Welcome back to The Swing Vote, the show where we present the facts and you draw the conclusions. In this episode, we are joined by two special guests from Ballard High School in Seattle, Marcella and Sophia. Care to introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Marcella Bonet. I am a sophomore at Ballard High School, and I am the captain of the debate and the STEM team, along with my colleagues Sophia and Juliet and Bella, and I'm very excited to be on this podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Sophia Rajin. I'm also a sophomore at Ballard High School and also one of the leaders of the Ballard High Debate and STEM Club, along with Marcella and our other colleagues. And I, too, am really excited to be on this podcast. All right. Fantastic. Nice to have you. On this podcast, we have always been dedicated to maintaining impartiality and a diversity of perspectives to the best of our ability. But in this case, we are united in recognizing the heinous crimes committed by Mr. Lang as once motivated primarily by racism, especially certain stereotypes of Asian women. Sex addiction is a discredited term no longer employed by the American Psychiatric Association and disavowed by the vast majority of psychiatrists and psychologists who have stressed the major distinctions between a heightened libido and actual addiction like those to narcotics or gambling. It is unknown whether or not the employee at the massage parlors in question performed sexual services, but many establishments in the same area already provide such services. The specific choice of targets, with two of the massage parlors being 30 miles apart, suggests that the shooter saw Asian-American establishments and the women who operate them as particularly corrupting and sexually suggestive influences. The fetishization and corresponding demonization of Asian women, of course, has a long and inglorious past. Almost as soon as the first Chinese women landed on American shores, they were decried as promiscuous prostitutes who would corrupt the nation's moral values. At the same time, the bookshelves and newspaper stands of America were filled with salacious tales of wild sexual exploits with beautiful and exotic women to be found in the Orient. The first immigration restriction in United States history, the Page Act, was passed in 1875, prohibiting quote-unquote immoral Asian women from entering the United States. Even as time went on and Asian women gained ever greater exposure in popular media, they remained bound to a set of stereotypical roles. Huang Liu-shuang, or Anna Mae Wong, the first Chinese-American movie star, was frustrated throughout her two-decade-long career by studios' insistence that she be cast essentially as one of two characters, the butterfly or the dragon lady both of which would continue to define the portrayal of Asian women in entertainment for decades and leave a lasting mark on today's cultural attitudes towards them. The butterfly, alternatively called Lotus Blossom or China Doll, depicts Asian women as demure, meek, virginal, entirely submissive to the will of her often white partner, 
willing to sacrifice herself for him. The dragon lady, in contrast, is beautiful and seductive, but vicious, bent on corrupting the decent Christian man. World events played a role in cementing such stereotypes, with American involvement in the Philippines, Korea, and Vietnam giving rise to tall tales of GIs heroically rescuing Asian women from the ravages of war and starvation. Since then, of course, the situation has improved. Asian women are increasingly being featured in lead roles that are not stereotypical, and the portrayal of Asian women as devious sexual commodities has abated somewhat with the general shift in the social consciousness towards a more global and egalitarian perspective. Asian women, however, continue to be catcalled with phrases such as, You cure my yellow fever. Miss Saigon, a show that once featured yellow-faced actors and fetishizes the teenage Vietnamese protagonist, is one of the most popular on Broadway. Asian women who work in the service industries continue to report disproportionately high rates of sexual harassment and assault. The question we must ask, thus, is what can we do to confront the fetishization of Asian women in our society in order to prevent such tragedies as the shooting in Atlanta? I think it's first important to note all of the factors that are at play here. I think that you, you did a good job of noting many of these factors in your intro. Um, but I think that there is a very widespread and a very historic fetishization of Asian women and of um, this like idea of the sexually subservient Asian woman and of like yellow fever um, is very widespread within like pornography within um, you know within. Sorry, uh, sorry. I'm just like nervous. Within television and within a the history of even American um, col uh, colonialism and imperialism, I think that the most searched. I mean, I don't think that, but the most searched porn categories are very much sort of fit into this like fetishization. You know, teen is one of the most searched. Um, Asian is one of the most searched. Ebony lesbian, all these like fetishization of women by their identities. And I think that this is something that is very reflected in violence that we see today towards women and towards minorities. Um, a lot of people I'd like to think that porn exists in a vacuum, but it doesn't. It really affects our day-to-day -day lives and how we see people and the dehumanization of women especially Asian women, especially, you know, um, like petite women, like all the like, categories of foreign, like BBW, whatever, that you might look up. Those women are dehumanized through this, like, often violent pornography. And I think that that dehumanization plays a big role in the violence that women experience. Um, I agree that um, certainly violent pornography is a threat to um, women and that generally there could be more done to regulate the porn industry as a whole in terms of its um, uh, a tendency to commodify women as sexual objects. However, I do feel that the impact of porn as a medium is less perhaps than the far more persuasive impact of film and television and particularly um, 
existing social biases, uh, for example, the bamboo ceiling, which keeps Asian women out of the boardroom, out of important, powerful positions and places them uh, in subservient positions, and the oppressive U.S. system of immigration, which um, keeps uh, immigrant women, especially those from Southeast Asian countries, in ghettoized conditions, are truly the more impactful factors in this discussion. Certainly, I don't disagree with you, Jason. I do think that there is lots to be said about film and the impacts that the stereotypes that Asian women have been put into within film and um, the bamboo ceiling and all of those things that you've mentioned do have a great effect. But I think specifically about the situation in Atlanta where he was referencing his sexual addiction, how he felt that he had to rid himself of these sexual... Um, you know, these like sexual temptations that he saw specifically in Asian women. I would not be surprised if, you know, we learned that this man had descri- described himself with like a porn addiction because sexual, sexually led violence towards women, sexually um, motivated violence towards women is, at least it's very much reflected within the pornography we have in our day. And I think that that also sort of leads to, no, I don't think that, but there is um, studies that report that there are, that violent porn does lead to violence against women, and um, especially, like, sexual violence within this, like, fetishization of a minority that seems very on-brand for pornography-led violence. No, no, I agree absolutely that uh, violent pornography and certain um, aspects of the porn industry, especially its fetishization of racial minority women, does have an impact on the current case. However, I would like to put out a disclaimer that uh, porn addiction as a medical phenomenon is not recognized by the American Psychiatric Association, and most scientists generally discredit it. Now, um, I think we should, uh, I think it's time to discuss sort of more concrete terms rather than simply the nature of the problem which i think we have discussed in a a fair deal of uh, depth which is that asian women are fetishized asian women are uh, characterized as either a meek or sexually seductive and that they are um, objects for white men and onto um, solutions onto what can we do to oppose such fetishization and how to ensure that Asian, these attacks do not occur again and undermine this, uh, the general social order which maintains that Asian women are these fantasies. Um, if I may jump in here, um, I'd just like to say that I think that how we dive deep and solve this problem is by attacking the problem itself and by attacking these stereotypes that we have been facing for years. Um, As an Asian woman myself, living in America, growing up watching Hollywood movies and seeing the perception of Asian and Indian women is very different from what I've seen in my culture, in my daily life. And I feel that if we are able to divert our focus onto what the ideal Asian woman is and start focusing on what's more realistic. We're able to attack those stereotypes and educate people on who they actually are and what their nature is and not just why they're pretty or just why 
they are they look good, but why they are smart and why they are strong and why they're able to do what they do. It's true. I think that um, if there's one community even more marginalized than East Asians in American film, television, entertainment, and society, it is South and Southeast Asian women uh, who in film tend to be depicted as either um, in the very con- colonialist lens as helpless maidens to be rescued by the superior white man or um, obviously as with every other minority races, sexual objects to be desired. Now, uh, I believe, Harry Huang, you were trying to say something? I think the root of the issue relates to something Marcella mentioned earlier, is exoticism. Uh, Not just exoticism of Asian women, of um, all types of people, of all races, of all defining characteristics. And specifically in the case of Asians, it's the perpetual foreigner stereotype. It's that Asians never really integrate or at least they are never perceived as integrating or assimilating into American culture. Now, back in the day, we had Irish and Germans and Italians, and back in the day, they were not perceived as white, but at this point in time, they are perceived as white, and obviously for America, the stereotype of the American, the ideal of the American, if you will, is necessarily white. However, that same transformative process hasn't occurred for Asians and probably isn't going to occur for Asians. So the fundamental thing that we have to attack that causes this fetishization is the exoticization, the otherization of Asian women and of other marginalized groups in general. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly with Harry. I think that definitely the exoticization, the alienation of the sort of like the us and them mentality that white people, especially white men, have towards Asian women and women of other cultures is definitely, I think, really what's at the root of this issue. Because when you feel like this person is so exotic, and you feel that this is, the fetishization comes through that. And I think, I am not Asian, but as a Latina woman, I definitely have experienced some fetishization, like, oh, you're so exotic. That's just, it seems very much that my culture is viewed as other, even though my family is in America. And that otherness is something that I feel that we should fight against or fight back against if we want to solve the Asian, the issue of Asian fetishization. I concur. Um, it's this phenomenon with, oh, obviously, I concur with both Marcella and Harry that there is this uh, great problem that Asian Americans are considered um, fundamentally distinct, uh, unable to coexist with the concept of Americanness. Um, Asian Americans are depicted in a lens that uh, we are professional foreigners, as Harry Huang said, because we haven't been sort of amalgamated into this uh, grand, quote-unquote, American identity, whoever defines it. And I think that American identity is very much based on race. Irish, Germans, Italians, they can all be integrated into it, but us of a different skin color, of a different background, cannot be. Even if our culture is as, is perhaps as diverse as the Italian culture was to the Protestant English culture that America was founded with. And I think the way we go about challenging this is one, obviously demanding greater Asian representation in government and in film, um, and two, 
better education surrounding uh, Asian culture and Asian history, because part of which what enables this um, fetishization, exotification of Asia specifically, um, is a exceedingly poor understanding of the actual cultural basis of Asia. Um, there's this very uh, uniquely uh, Western uh, fascination with ancient Chinese patriarchal culture in which women were obviously, um, as you all know, designated to the household and virtually turned into a living object. And there's this fascination with Asian women's grace and poise and elegance that somehow are expected to arise naturally out of um, cultural instincts. There's this great need among the West to reduce Asian culture into this one-dimensional flat um, thing characterized by bullet points. And this can take comical manifestations like people who random to tattoo random Chinese words um, on their arms or people who buy, you know, Tibetan prayer rugs to decorate their 5,000 square foot mansion. But it can also take horrific consequences. It can also have horrific consequences like the one uh, we saw in the land a few weeks ago. I definitely agree. I think that the the lack of education that we have about even the role of Asian Americans and of other minorities in American history, um, especially in schools, I don't know about you guys, but throughout middle school and even throughout some of my high school experience, history has been for me very whitewashed. There's been very little just side mentions of the culture of minorities coming to America and establishing themselves in America. It seems to me that it's like they're discussing these foreigners came to America and they're not discussing them really as Americans or how they affected American culture and things like that. Which I think that if we had more education on the way that minorities have shaped American history and American culture, then we would be more um, willing to accept the people that we once viewed as foreign as Americans. Um, because I think currently the American culture is very white, like the American is a white person. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with you, Marcella. I feel like a lot of what American culture is based on is seeing what they want to see. Only digging up on the surface and not digging down deep into the actual nature of people is a lot about what American culture has become. It's a lot of surface level stuff rather than actually going deep into the cultures of these other people and what their lives were like before they came to America. And we don't see that a lot in our history textbooks. We only see how America's changed them. For example, when we see like Americans in history trying to change Native Americans into Christians. And I think they use just the surface level stuff as a justification for what they're doing and not actually seeing that they have to dig deep in order to actually be able to justify what they're trying to do to other people and how they're trying to image them to the public. 
Yeah, I think um, that American culture, as it's defined in a modern sense, is often based on a variety of signifiers. Um, if you listen to, uh, for example, the average country song, you'll quickly um, understand that to most, um, American culture is a list of things. Um, hamburgers, cowboys, steaks, the flag, eagle, the bald eagle. The American culture has been turned into a variety of uh, symbols of Americana rather than this belief in the essence of America as a culturally accepting and uh, welcoming nation, which it, in truth it never was, but at least it is an ideal we should strive towards. I agree with you, Jason, and I think that part of that is that America is, and I know people say this a lot, but it really is a mixing pot of people. Americans are very much all immigrants. We all come from somewhere, you know, somewhere else, you know, whether it was with the colonialism um, from England or other European countries. But of course, you know, white supremacy has made it so American culture is very much like white culture. And that to me is very sad because we have this huge, you know, um, bounty of culture from all of the people who make up what America really is. But that is pushed aside to make way for the Eurocentric sort of view on what America should be. Harry Huang, any takes? I think a really salient example of that is the assimilationist nature of the United States. America has, unlike no other country, an absolute fascination with assimilation, with taking foreigners and immigrants and pushing them through a machine and turning them out into people who buy a nice little house in the suburbs with a nice white picket fence and have 2.5 kids and serve on the school board or something. And I think that has to be something that's rejected because in some part that is why Asian Americans are never truly accepted for in a German immigrant back in the day. They, a lot of them stopped speaking German, they changed their culture, and they changed everything they could about them and that they became indistinguishable from Americans. At this point, uh, a descendant of those original German immigrants is indistinguishable from any other American. For Asians, we face some of this, some similar pressures. Uh, um, for example, pressure to stop using uh, our heritage languages, Chinese, um, Japanese, all those types of languages. But the one thing we can't change about ourselves that the Germans and Irish uh, didn't have to change is our skin color. And if we ever want to be truly accepted as Americans, we have to recognize that there, we have to be able to accept American culture not as a single monolith, but as a heterogeneous mix of various different cultures coexisting and exchanging, but where all of them are equally American, where you can speak any language you want, you can celebrate whatever holidays you wish or eat whatever foods you want and still be American. Right, it is this very poisonous concept that in order to be American, you must abandon your home culture first, that um, almost to be baptized as an American, you have to wash away the purported sin that you carry with you, the your original culture. It is, for example, my name is Jason, despite the fact that I was given a Chinese name. 
uh, Harry Huang was given a Chinese name, but he goes by Harry. And it is, and we must abandon this sense that America, there is one American, there is one America, there is one Ameri concept of Americanness. Americanness has historically taken and must always take a variety of visions. Americanness, there is no definition because by definition there is no American. How is it possible to conjure a definition of a people and a definition of a people's identity other than loyalty to a nation, loyalty to a set of creeds? Because America is special in the world in that it is a nation of immigrants. Most nations will claim that they are, you know, in some way built on the backs of immigrants or um, immigrants have contributed to their culture and to their nation. And that is most true. But America is special in that it lives and dies by immigration. All of us here, uh, there are 15 in America out of the 300 something million to people here today, there are 15th generation immigrants and there are second generation or first generation immigrants. And it is that consistent flow which has made America into one of the most powerful, into the most powerful nation in the world and created this wonderful um, cultural interchange that we have here. And I think it would be foolish for us to demand that we, uh, you know, polish the edges off of it and turn it into a, a almost a, reduce everything to this gray mush of um, of American culture to slap these American signifiers onto everything. And I think that's an act of not just the destruction of a people, but the destruction of a culture. Right, I definitely agree with you, Jason. Um, and part of this us and them mentality, I think, is very much seen through the words of our publications, our newspapers, and especially the words of the ex-president of this nation have been very much sort of inciting this alienation, this otherness that, be, especially for Asian people with the coronavirus, Trump calling it the China virus, very much, it seems very much like a a racial alienation that we that that does does cause a lot of alienation and this sense of otherness and this sense of this is a foreign threat and therefore everyone who does not look like the stereotypical American with the European features is part of this threat and a lot of violence towards Asian Americans have come has come out of that certainly and even with Trump saying that all Mexicans are drug dealers and rapists coming to our border. A lot of violence against Hispanic and Latino people has been has come out of that. So I think that to address the alienation that we have between cultures in our nation, we must address the way in which that alienation is popularized through the words of our film stars, through the words of our politicians specifically, and even through the words of how we get our news. Um, America has never been interested in differences ever since the beginning of this country when a bunch of white Europeans came and created a country. It was all the same. And then people of color immigrants started migrating to America and people were like, oh, you look different. 
you have to be different. We have to treat you differently because you look different than us. And although we don't have direct slavery now, we still see those differences. We see stereotypes, we see like body shaming, we see we still see differences between male and female. We still see racism in the United States today. And I think a lot of it is just because America has never adapted to differences. And I feel like we need to in order to create a more unified country. Because at the moment, with all of these shootings that have been happening right now, America is very divided. And although nothing extreme or very extreme has happened yet, I think we kind of are on the path to something happening if we are not able to set aside our differences and realize that no matter which country we're from, no matter what is our race, no matter what skin color we have, we're all still Americans and we all live in the same place and we should live in that same place in peace. Right. I think that obviously America is um, on the racial acceptance scale it's not exactly top of the line and certainly there are crises that we must confront and our nation has been perpetually uh, engaged in a war against otherness a war against um the um outside cultures and outside peoples we claim to accept however i would like to say that um i think america in fact i think i am proud of this nation not because of its accomplishments in this area but at least for its ideals america is an exceedingly flawed uh, nation with a incredibly checkered history of ethnic ac acceptance to put it mildly but i think with time we must believe in the ability of the american people with the increasing power of the asian american community with the increasing impetus upon uh, minority communities to mobilize for change to and the political channels which still remain open to us i think that the future is a positive one now um i think it would be good if we uh, to if we were to look at a more specific part of the um of the problem which is the ghettoization of certain minority communities especially lower income uh asian american communities because Asian communities have long labored under the assumption that all of us, um, well, under the model minority, some uh, under the, the myth of the model minority, that we are wealthy, that we are unilaterally um, educated, white collar, uh, proficient in certain technical skills, and that is certainly not true of 90 percent of the Asian American community today. Um, while there are certain post-1965 immigration flows of uh, very uh, well-to-do Asian um, peoples, there has also existed an enormous flow of refugees, of economic migrants from uh, especially Southeast Asia and South Asia um, to America in search of better economic circumstances. And it is those communities which have been perpetually trapped in this cycle of poverty in which they are forced to remain in these terrible circumstances and offer um, certain services which may be rather degrading to them, such as um, a sexually suggestive massage. 
Right, I definitely agree with you that the 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 ghettoization and the model minority myth um, that is presented to Asian Americans as the sort of like two sides of America, the Asian American experience in a way is somewhat, not somewhat, but very definitely very harmful towards the way that Asian Americans and the racism that Asian Americans experience is viewed in this country because through the model minority myth, it's seen, it's, it's widely believed that there is no real issue with Asian racism or anti-Asian racism Although that racism, as we've seen from the events in Atlanta, is still rather widespread and it is very much an issue that takes lives and it is an issue that very much contributes to the racism and the problem of racism that we do have in America. Very well, you want to weigh in? Um, I think what we can do, especially to confront the circumstances of the um, horrific uh, tragedy in Atlanta, is improve the economic circumstances of the um, of lower income Asian American communities because the model minority myth has done great harm to them in that um, governments neglect to uh, um, provide resources to uh, lower income Asian American communities. Uh, they provide even less sometimes than they do for African American communities because they believe that um, Asian Americans are unilaterally wealthy. And I think we should begin to talk about what we can do to solve this and um, extricate um, the poorer Asian Americans from these horrific ghetto conditions that they're trapped in. Well, a lot of it's stigma, right? Like, oh, they don't know as much about working in a business or they don't know as much about working in an office. And of course, like racism plays a part in hiring and there's always bias when it comes to hiring. And I think um, Asians, Americans are always more susceptible to that just because of the amount of racism in our country right now. But I feel like a way that we can tackle that is just trying to attack that stigma, trying to show people that Asians are no worse than we are and they're just like us. And we're all living in one country and we should be united and not oppress people and like limit their opportunities just because of their race. Sophia, I definitely agree with you, but the means by which we should achieve that. It's very well to say we should end the stigma that Asian Americans face, especially Asian Americans in ghettoized communities face uh, within the job market, within the school application process, and things like that. But the means by which we should achieve this is a more difficult problem because I think that I agree, I agree very much with Jason that our country sort of has a duty to its citizens to, the, the point of a government in my view is to protect the people and to help the people and to provide stability and aid to those who need it. And I think that our government definitely in many, many ways fails in that aspect. And that's just another way in which this government is failing the, those who are 
economically on the lower side of the scale? I don't think, um, um, I would like to politely disagree with Sophia in that obviously it is a um, major problem in the Asian American community that um, lower income Asian Americans are thought of as almost on a, in a colonialist uncivilized, they're uneducated, they're um, but I think the free market is not um, our community's salvation. Greater job competitiveness uh, will aid, uh, will help them. But the truth is that with their current educational credentials, with their uh, current present circumstances, the language barrier, the social barrier, the racial barrier, they are most likely to remain fundamentally uncompetitive. I think the solution here is a wider program to provide lower-income Asian Americans with government subsidies uh, for free education, free vocational training, because people don't open massage parlors generally, because that's what they do, that's their passion in life, that's what they want to do. People open massage parlors because it's, it, it's the best hope for them in a world full of in a world of, it's the best opportunity for them in a world of terrible opportunities. Right, and I think, sorry, go ahead. I definitely agree with you, Jason. As a socialist, I definitely think that access to free healthcare, um, education, all big necessities are really important and is something that we don't really have in America right now. Um, However, I do think that it is important that we, because I feel like healthcare and giving people necessities won't really, it will help them in life, but it won't help them get a job or get a, like, a stable lifestyle um, if they're not able to make money or make income. And, like, I feel like our society today, uh, like, makes it so that people have to work in order to survive. And, yeah, you're right. Some people don't open massage parlors just because that's what they want to do. But I also think that there is definitely a stigma around Asian people in the business and markets and just in bigger companies that we see um, make more money and that also limits their opportunities. Harry Huang, any comment? Well, one aspect of it is the language aspect is uh, for a lot of, obviously to be able to properly participate in American society, it's a fact that you need to be able to speak English at least a decent level. And for many Asian Americans, especially first-generation immigrants and those who come later, that level of proficiency in English necessary for them to be able to uh, compete effectively in the job market with others is something they is very difficult for them to attain or something they never attain. And therefore, they're limited to a certain subset of jobs, usually, as Jason mentioned, massage parlors or uh, ethnic cuisine restaurants and things like that. So... I think the key issue here is we don't want to assimilate people, but we want to be able to provide more resources to help people integrate.
in society to bring them to a level where they at least have the skill sets, skill set here primarily meaning language proficiency, to be able to partake of um, the opportunities afforded to other Americans. Right. I think it is absolutely paramount for the United States government to provide educational resources and training for new immigrants um, to remove some of the first generation progress gap in that, for example, uh, my parents who have spent possibly 30 years of their life immersed in American culture and in an English speaking environment, they, w- they went to graduate school here, they've been working here for 10 years, and yet they remain unable to speak, um, to converse in, in a in a way that would probably be required in a um, white-collar business environment, or even a just a general workplace setting. It is a tremendous um, injustice that immigrants have essentially to wait for the next generation to um, achieve, uh, to become American, to to say that they can live and work here. The United States government must uh, be the authority that, that that truly enforces its national creed that all are born equal, that all are granted equal and free opportunity in America. And as long as there remains a socioeconomic and linguistic barrier blocking first-generation immigrants on the path to progress, they will remain in these ghettoized areas where conditions are horrific and they have they are forced to serve such clients as Mr. Lang. I wholeheartedly agree with you, Jason. I think that the language gap and also what you mentioned, the gap that Asian Americans have where they have to wait for, or not Asian Americans, but all immigrants, many immigrants to America have to wait for the next generation to really, you know, be able to experience life in America or to have a life outside of just like striving to survive and put food on the table. Um, certainly my grandfather is brilliant. He's a brilliant arborist. But when he, he first came to America, he had to take many jobs as like a janitor and uh, experience racism within that work, that workplace, that workforce. And while he definitely was, is very lucky and our family is very lucky to have gotten to the place that we've gotten since. Um, it feels that it's a waste of his talent almost because he's so brilliant. And I think that if we had more more opportunities for immigrants, so the, if the U.S. government provided more opportunities for immigrants, such as more legal counsel, more, you know, especially language opportunities and um, help finding work, then we would really be much better off as a nation. We'd be much richer in our experiences and in the the workforce. Right. Not only is it a matter of principle, the linguistic gap um, sort of um, takes people out of the talent pool, out of the skills pool, and who knows what the potential... Obviously... Every human being on this earth has a potential to be more than an employee at the massage parlor. Given the proper resources, uh, the some 20 million Asian American immigrants and uh, the some um, 
10 million low-income Asian American migrants in the United States can achieve great things that opportun uh, with opportunities that they are currently be being denied because they do not speak English. It is a tremendous... Uh, I think any expenditure on part of the government uh, for their education and the provision of resources to them would be offset by the benefits in terms of productivity and innovation that these immigrants would bring to our society. Okay, sorry, if I implied that I do not think that we should educate Asians, I apologize. That is not no, what no, I meant no, no, at no, all. No, no, no. no certainly, I don't um, think it came off that way. What I definitely agree that we need that a language gap is a big um, factor that people face all around the world just when they're immigrating to any place in general. And I definitely agree that we should be educating and trying to limit that language gap uh, just so the people can live up to their full potential um, because they have more potential than to work in a place where they're not happy or um just like we want people to have a best their best lifestyle no matter what their race is um so i definitely agree that we should try to uh, limit those factors that make it difficult for example language um, I also think that we should be supporting them in any way that we can and not rather than doing the opposite, which is like oppressing them and pointing out their differences or pointing out, oh, you're not good enough for this job. So definitely support is a big thing that I think we could definitely do more in America. I think we've come to a point in the discussion where we generally agree on our vision for a more, uh, for America that is more accepting um, of immigrant populations, especially Asian, especially Asian immigrants and Asian women in particular. The truth is that this attack wasn't the act of a deranged gunman alone. It wasn't simply the result of any one factor. It wasn't uh, loose laws around guns. It wasn't stigmas against Asian women in particular. It wasn't even that Asian Americans are ghettoized and put in these horrible circumstances where they don't speak the language and they're trapped in these low-paying jobs. It's a combination of all the, all the above and the many impacts of a system almost intentionally designed to keep them as a permanent underclass, as a permanent um, service industry. The way, we, the way we stop this, the way we prevent further tragedies like that which occurred in Atlanta, the way we end the fetishization of Asian women, the marginalization of Asian women, the displacement of Asian women, is government action. The United States must take charge and live up to its fundamental ideals as a nation of immigrants. It must provide vocational and economic resources to help uplift destitute um, enclave communities. It must work, uh, whether from the grassroots or from whether from the top, whether from the bottom up or the top down, to challenge how Asian women 
and Asians in general are perceived in culture and our society, uh, especially as expressed through film, television, music, whatever format it is in. Because the problem is not that Asians are weak or that uh, Asians must, or that we need a greater police presence to protect us. The police are not going to be able to aid us in the struggle. They are a preventative measure at best. The true way we stop these attacks is by stopping people from having these antagonistic and highly violent thoughts towards Asians and a belief that they are submissive or they are subjects to the white man. If we don't upset this fundamentally colonialist, racist, and racist ethos, then attacks like this will continue to happen. And Asian people, especially lower income Asian people, will continue to suffer in a system which categorically either incapable or sexually suggestive objects either as a silent labor force or as a tool for sexual satisfaction was that a bit long-winded sorry i'll edit out most of it in the Thank you for listening to this episode of The Swing Vote. Um, as always, you can find all of our episodes on all major podcast streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. As always, stay in, stay healthy, stay safe.